This is Essential. 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 This is Essential Audio. Welcome to the Money Pot, our podcast at Money 2020. I'm Sanjeev Kalida, our editor in chief, and here today with Rachel Morrissey, one of our producers. How are you doing, Rachel? Hey, Sanj, I'm good. But I had an interesting experience yesterday. I mean, I saw one of those dumb quizzes people put on Facebook that one of my friends had done, and I hit on it, and it was asking me for a lot of information that could easily lead to identity theft, and it has me thinking a lot about responsible data collection and usage. Well, as you know, data privacy is a passion of mine. Oh, that's right. We were both very interested in how to keep data private and undercover. Like modern day PIs, just at home behind our computers, rather than a rainy alleyway in Manhattan in the fifties. Roland, to get us in the mood, you got any private investigator music? Thank you. Ooh, I like this. <laughs> so just like a private investigator stakes his living on facts and information, we all know that innovation requires data. And that's especially true when we're talking about personalization. You are playing all the greatest data hits. But if you hire a private investigator, how do you know they're not going to turn on you and sell that information to the highest bidder? Or in fintech speak, how do you make sure that the data is being used wisely and to the advantage of the customer and the company? I can picture you now in a smoky office with a glass of whiskey and rain at the window. <laughs> Maybe I should have gone down that path when I started my career. <laughs> Who knows where I'd be right now? Certainly not co-hosting a fintech podcast. But back to the tech side. Where do we start with privacy? Well, like any good PI, you need to identify and confirm your target. So I think we start with identity verification, and that's why I wanted to talk to my friends Bill and Julie at Sheer ID. Hi, I'm、uh, I'm Bill Schneider. I head up、uh, product marketing at Sheer ID. I'm Julie Cox. I'm the VP of Financial Services at ShareID. Okay, why do we start with identity? One of the main uses of data in marketing is to target demographic segments with specific marketing messages tailored to them. Targeted messaging is one of the most effective ways that businesses can acquire new customers. The deeper understanding of their needs and what appeals to them is central to almost all digital marketing. So, anyone that can prove the group affiliations and provide them to businesses can help marketers and product development understand the consumers better and make it easier to target those new customers. I mean, that would be extremely valuable to any business. And that is what ShareID does. They connect to data sources and verify that potential new customers belong to certain groups. So that marketers can personalize messages and create value for the consumer. Data is at the center of all of those experiences, and making that experience for the consumer seamless, with the goal of making it seamless. You know, Julie talked a minute ago about you know providing Amazon-like experiences, and the way that you do that is by knowing your customer intimately and providing experiences that make it easy for them to fill out. You know, an application online or apply、uh, for a credit card, and using data in the background to make that straightforward and just take the friction out of the process. So he mentioned Amazon, and their entire story is built around an initial offering to create a very rich database. So I'm going to need you to put your PI hat back on and connect the dots for me. Why are they working with Bill and Julie? 
Well, I don't exactly think that we're going to need a pin board and string for this one. It's pretty simple. Do you have Amazon Prime? Well, yeah. I mean, 82% of U.S. households have an Amazon Prime account. When did you first subscribe? Uh, when I went back to grad school. They had an awesome sign-up rate. I think it was $49 for a year. And it was so much easier to order books and supplies and everything else that I needed. And since you graduated, did you stay on Amazon Prime? Well, yeah. I mean, I know Amazon can be a behemoth, but their service is amazing. Well, when they made you that offer when you were a student... Sheer ID has the databases and the APIs to quickly verify your eligibility as a student. And then you found the product and service so valuable that they kept you as a long-term loyal customer. They verify a lot of groups, for example, students, military, healthcare professionals, and teachers. Target started working with us well before COVID and looking at their Circle Rewards program for teachers. They've recently added students as well. And they have used us to be able to specifically verify both of these statuses so that, you know, things like school supplies, that's a simple way of engaging teachers to say, it's so important for us to show you that we're loyal to you. You're loyal to us. We want to do something for you. On average, we know teachers spend over $500 of their own money um, to supply a classroom. So Target said, let's let's show them that we're in their corner. So we'll give them some back-to-school offers to restock their classrooms. And then they tie it all back to their loyalty program. So at the account creation moment for a consumer going to the Circle um, Rewards program, they have an instant API call to us. We let them know that they are a teacher and then they're off to the races. So this story is great. And I am sure the teachers appreciate it as much as I appreciated the student discount. But there's a fine line between being helpful and creepy. And sometimes it feels like companies know too much about me. And as a data nerd, it makes me wary. It's kind of like the difference between saying, hey, that is a nice dress, and saying, hey, you're a size 12, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, it crosses a line. (laughs) I mean, I love having personalized experiences, but not when it feels like I'm under surveillance or being insulted. And all of this flirts with the surveillance economy. I agree 1,000%. And that's why my company, Guppy, specializes in data privacy. Making sure that data is used wisely starts with gathering it the right way. One of the major shifts that's taking place is moving away from third-party data, which is a lower-quality data source that has you know, privacy concerns and, and um, implications around it, to first-party and zero-party data. And there are a number of shifts that are taking place at the regulatory level, you know, at the consumer behavioral level, and also at the platform level. You know, Apple and Google are making shifts in terms of how they're uh, collecting data and, through their platform, and that is changing the way brand marketers can use that data and how what types of access they have. So we're seeing that shift move towards uh, first-party and zero-party data, which is a higher-quality data source. So by third-party data, he is talking about sources like credit bureaus, data aggregators, and brokers, where someone beyond the two parties in the transaction are involved. First-party data is when the source of the data is involved, but the data is gathered passively. Zero-party data is when the involved parties provide it directly for a specific use. Since there's so much data about us out there, 
having explicit approval to use data for a purpose raises the value of the data a lot. I think it is interesting during COVID, first and zero party data gained so much steam. It has always been assumed that gathering zero-party data was too laborious and required too many resources. I think you're absolutely right, Rachel. Another thing that I've thought about is that with the massive amounts of data out there, and especially being in an environment where there's massive misinformation and terms like fake news, zero-party data is a way to fight back and say, this is real. This is me. I want to use this data for this purpose. Like when the lawyer said, I'm live and I'm not a cat. (laughs) (laughs) I also think consumers are more patient when they feel like they approve of what the data is for. Bill has a good example of that with Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is a retailer that actually has a very lengthy, involved sign-up process where they learn about your preferences so that they can provide personalized experiences for you. And I think what that signals to me personally about what um, consumers are willing to do is they're willing to provide very detailed information about what they're looking for um, as they're starting to work with a brand if they know that there is some real value that's tied to them on the other side they're where they're going to get a better personalized experience you know i use stitch fix i mean most of the professional women i know do and they have gamified the collection of data in a way that is both fun and functional it's almost like one of those cosmo quizzes Do you know how to dress for success? Sanj, I didn't know you read Cosmo. Oh, everyone loves a good Cosmo quiz. Besides, I gather valuable information from wherever it is. I don't know if this is the right analogy, but, you know, there's like, it's almost like a a quiz in a way. It's like a Cosmo quiz uh, where you learn more about yourself through the process. And I think when you can add uh, elements of whimsy uh, in a data collection process, that's Not only does it serve a certain utility, there's also an element of fun that comes along with it as well. I love the word whimsy. It is not used enough. So would you be okay with applying for a bank account with a Cosmo quiz? I think so. I think if the bank was being straightforward about the personal information that they would gather from such a quiz and that was being used to help me, I think I would gladly hand it over to a bank. You know, Shamir Karkal was writing about the beginnings of Simple And they wanted to design a bank that was using your data to help you. If they were using a Cosmo quiz to understand how to do that, I would sign up. I've gone through the process of signing up for several neobanks. And I do think that the tone during sign-up is more conversational and casual. I don't feel like I'm being interviewed or interrogated, which makes me feel more, you know, in control of the experience. One thing that we also talked about is how consumers are concerned about some of the third-party data practices. And actually, that's been an impact on how they view um, uh, brands. It's actually eroded some trust that they have with brands when they don't feel like they have control over their data uh, experience. And so I think that's going to be a big shift as we look uh, to the year ahead um, as uh, consumers are recognizing that their data is being used um, by brands and they want to have a direct say in how it's being used. I think this links directly to financial services. People don't want to be treated as the commodity that is being sold or feel manipulated into buying what they don't want. They want the personalization, but 
want a voice in how that data is being used. And with financial services, it can only behoove them to build this richer relationship with their customers. Becoming customer advocates is going to be the next table stakes. What's been surprising is how eager financial services are to have this kind of relationship with customers to grow beyond that traditional KYC to something that is more more authentic. Um, Zero-party data for them is they get to pick and choose exactly how they want to go after these high-lifetime customers. And then they have a more personalized, meaningful experience with these customers. I think a good example of that would be talking to banks about their desire to know if any of their customers are members of the military. You know, what a, what a great way to interact and know that you can thank them for their service, but you also want to know them as a customer and how they are very responsible, very risk um, free type of customers. Now, this is a very important enhancement to KYC. We spoke last week about how KYC disadvantaged certain customers from marginalized populations. If they could utilize zero-party data and really understand customers more fully than current credit models, they might generate fewer credit applications, but have a much greater approval rate. Julie also went on to outline what financial services could take from retail, and she made some really good points. First, COVID has dramatically changed customer behavior. 58% of all consumer interactions were digital. So we all saw that shift coming for years, but like we've said before, COVID has been a real accelerant that shifted the timeline on the tipping point. And Julie talked about two other areas where financial services could learn from retail. One was buy now, pay later. The second um, area of concentration would be the buy now, pay later. It is hot, hot, hot. Um, for both retail and financial services. Um, Several elements that make it potentially more attractive than credit cards is the payment structure is just as simple. Um, There's just a very seamless experience. You want to buy a Peloton bike like I did. Um, You could buy it for $157 a month for 12 months, no questions of APR fees, et cetera. Very simple uh, click-through experience. Second, by using non-traditional data that companies like Affirm and Klarna do, they're able to extend this offer to far more customers. And third, because it's designed specifically for these retail experiences, it's seamless and easy. So buy now, pay later is potentially a great vehicle to acquire new customers or engage existing customers. Well, BNPL is definitely one of the hottest services in the market. And I thought it was just for big purchases, but I was on Twitter and a customer who had been reticent to try it was talking about how addictive it is. They said it allowed for you to experience the value before you paid for everything. So it changed the sense of value for the product. I can see how that could be used to garner customer loyalty. And the ability to anticipate what your customers want would grow. In a way, BNPL could be used as a bit of a game that allows for product feedback very quickly. And lastly, Julie made the point that retail learned to combine physical and digital to adapt for customers who were very wary of digital experiences or found value in brick and mortar services. For example, ordering online, but providing physical pickup spaces became popular. The analogy for banks, I think, would be that just as retailers have been using existing brick and mortar stores to better serve digital customers and experiences, banks could do the same thing with their brick and mortar branches. So retailers um, 
thought through a shopping experience and minimized what needed to happen in store that when customers come in, it's just quick. Banks can do the same by focusing on how they can get the customer in and out as quickly as possible by preloading experiences onto digital. One more important point is that when thinking about physical digital combinations, banks thought of digital as a way to service physical customers. That's definitely good food for thought. We used to have banks create environments like coffee shops, but now consumers barely want to spend any time in coffee shops. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely been a while since I went to a cafe with my laptop to soak in the atmosphere. Yep, you want the cafe to have your order ready so you can run in and out. That really can only happen with good digital data. Consumers are being conditioned uh, by the retail experience. They've really been leading the charge on creating these personalized touchless experiences. And they're looking for those types of experiences in other industries as well. And um, financial services, I think, is really uh, for those uh, banks that uh, start to embrace those uh, types of best practices, they're going to be well-served and in a good position to win new customers in in that way. Well, we certainly did cover a lot in a short period of time. I mean, that sounds like a good retail experience of the future. But Sanj, you got to tell me, are we about to lose you to the world of private investigators? Well, I don't think I'm quite ready to step into that world just yet, but I am about ready to take another Cosmo quiz. We'd like to thank Bill Schneider and Julie Cox for speaking with us. We would also like to thank our producer and music aficionado, Roland Bodenham. We are very excited about seeing you in person, yes, live in Amsterdam on September 21st through the 23rd and in Vegas from October 24th through the 27th. Tickets to both shows are available now at money2020.com. And if you like The Money Pot, please leave us a review in iTunes to help others find the show. This podcast will also be live in Vegas. So tell us now how much you want to be a part of it by sending ideas to podcast at money2020.com. And thank you for listening. This is Essential. 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 This is Essential Audio.